Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, episode 15. Rob here. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. On this episode, we were supposed to start 2022 with uh, a look back at Bad Moms and its sequel, Bad Moms Christmas. That episode, thanks to uh, Omicron and the rest of the world kind of falling off its access uh, these days. What else is new? Uh, that episode will have to wait until after our next mega series. So instead, we're going to launch right into our next mega series, which is the Mad Max franchise. So uh, last year, late 2021 or mid 2021, I did a poll for which I have four slots left in 2021. Which of these franchises should I should I take a look at for franchise detours and do on the show? Evil Dead won that closely beating Mad Max. So we're starting 2022 with Mad Max. We're about to go mad with George Miller. And uh, on this episode, I called in Jackson Smith of Nightfall Entertainment. Hadn't talked to him since the Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions episodes of my old show, Crooked Table Podcast, now Close Watch. You can find that conversation in this feed as well. Uh, so it was fun to bring him back on uh, onto one of our shows after over a year. Let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into my conversation with Jackson Smith about Mad Max. Max is a main force officer trying to protect his family and stay alive. His only weapon, 600 horses of fuel-injected vengeance. Maximum force of the future. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. We are starting our Mad Max mega series with the 1979 film that started it all, Mad Max, directed by George Miller. And I am honored to welcome to the show Jackson Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. So this is the first time we've talked since the rebranding of Close of Crooked Table Podcast as Close Watch and the introduction of Franchise Detours. Last time we talked was on the Matrix Reloaded Revolutions. I think we talked for three hours about that. So I want to hear your thoughts on Resurrections. But first, before we jump into that, I know we're both ex- excited to talk about that a little. Tell people who you are and what you have going. Sweet. Yeah. So I'm an independent filmmaker uh, living in Los Angeles. I run a YouTube channel slash production company with my partner in crime, Adam Barnard. We're called Nightfall Entertainment. You can find us 
on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube specifically. And yeah, we produce podcasts, independent short films. I do video essays up there. And then professionally, I'm a producer for Little Dot Studios. And we I've produced uh, different web series for different corporate YouTube channels. I co-created Building with Batman for the DC Kids channel, the Cars Garage for the Pixar Cars channel, and right now working on uh, producing content for the Peacock YouTube channel. So uh, yeah, tons of tons of cool stuff, super busy all the time. Definitely one of my favorite things to do is talk with you, Robert, about movies because <laughs> it's so much fun. And we always talk about really great movies. And yeah, The Matrix was a hell of a discussion and man do i have thoughts on resurrecting <laughs> I, I have to i have to stop myself from making this whole podcast about i know i know we're, we're <laughs> we'll we'll, tr- we'll try it we'll try and make it as brief as possible no it's it's so good to finally to finally talk with you again like i said it's been over a year and we both had insanely busy 2021 so it's it's yeah. we'll have to we'll have to ensure that you get back on here much sooner than 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 last time but all right. So obviously we talked about, we love, we both love the matrix. We both love reloaded and revolutions. You even referenced the, the fact that you think that trilogy is on par with the original star Wars trilogy. And I, I, I I'm impressed that you, you love those movies even more than I do. Cause I love the sequels. I have reservations about them, but overall I'm, I'm a, I'm a defender. Mm-hmm. of them for sure what were you what was your initial reaction to resurrections i guess we'll try and since this is not a matrix resurrections episode we'll try and keep it as spoiler free as possible if we can if we can we'll try yes. oh no we'll I'll, skate I'll, around things i'll paint in broad strokes well i right. honestly i i i knew it was a good matrix movie because i had the exact same reaction watching it that i did when i saw all of the other Matrix movies for the first time, which is, I can't wait to rewatch this. <laughs> and like, really, and like, rewatch it knowing what it is because it's such a, it is such a head trip of a movie. There's so much new lore that gets introduced. And there were a couple points in the movie where I was like, not confused, but I was like, in the way that I was when I saw the architect scene in Reloaded for the first time, where I'm like, wait, 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 hold on, back up. Like, what? yeah, let me get a thesaurus so I can understand yeah, what you're talking just, about. Let me just like, recalibrate. But, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. I, I thought it was a great continuation of the story post i'm blanking on what the last one is called i'm so frustrated. Revolutions. <laughs> Revolutions. It's it, it, it follows, it follows up that movie really really well it's such a clever commentary on itself and on the fact that we're making more matrix movies in the first place i loved what they did with neo and trinity's characters i thought getting to see keanu reeves and carrie ann moss come back and show us uh, remind us why we fell in love with those two in the first place was so gratifying and so awesome i love the new additions to the cast i thought jen hardwick i think is her name jessica henwick yeah Jessica Henwick playing Bugs. Awesome. Total movie star. I love the hell out of her. I love Jonathan Gropp as redacted. Spoiling. <laughs> it was great. The, the, the new guy who plays Morpheus is fantastic. It was, it was just, it was all around a great time. Action was perhaps a little underwhelming. That was probably my, my, <laughs> not, not yeah. my least favorite part of the movie, but definitely the part of the movie where I was like, I think I missed 
there's a part of me that missed when the, the Wachowskis would storyboard the hell out of everything because it was like so, it was so calculated and so intricate. Whereas now I know Lana specifically has adopted this very naturalistic style of filmmaking and it's it's really excellent. Like it, 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 I think serves the movie really well and there's nothing bad about it, but it was like, I kind of missed that crazy anime style laser precision to the action filmmaking but the action itself like the action choreography and everything was still really good and there are a couple of there are a couple of set pieces in there which are like franchise all-timers so really i i can't complain yeah it's i think as far as the action that's that's one of the biggest most common uh, complaints that that naysayers have about resurrections which i understand because like i agree with you if you're coming to a, a matrix movie and you're expecting the action to be the most important thing. Lana is not really putting as much of an emphasis on that. It's more about mm -hmm. the lore, the story, the characters, their relationships, yeah. mm -hmm. the the themes, the messages, like what the movie's yeah. trying to stand for, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then she's and then she's like, yeah, an action too. We'll link that part of it, but it's not like <laughs> the priority in the same way. And yeah. the fact that this is a sequel to the to the other three films but also its own animal in a, in a in a big way i think helps in the way that it regards the again i'm trying to speak bleakly here <laughs> in the way that it regards the previous three and the way that they play into this story if that makes yeah. sense like it it oh, feels cool. it fits why those films would be then therefore more stylish more over the top with their action whereas this is not the real world in the way that the, the real world of these movies normally is depicted, but this is yes. more tangible and, and a little, like you're saying, more naturalistic. And, and yeah, I love the way that I love the way that you put that. But I, when I saw this, I was, I was fortunate enough to see it at a press screening just like a few days before it came oh, out. Nice. And the person that I saw it with was like, that was boring. That was, I hated that. And I was <laughs> like, I understand where, what, how you feel. But I like, I really liked it. I it it's it's not a, it's not a movie that I feel like is a hundred percent defensible. There are those people like like us that will walk away from this and be like, loved it, love what it's doing. And I've seen it mm -hmm. three times uh, now. I saw it twice. I actually saw it like I said at a press screening with very few people in the theater, and then twice on HBO Max thus far. And I'm trying mm -hmm. to find time to watch it a fourth time and every time i notice more details I, I appreciate it more i i there are little moments and little callbacks and little ways that it builds upon the previous three movies that really work for me but it's also like if people watch resurrections and they on one they have to understand what it's trying to do it doesn't mean they have to like it but if they understand like there are those people who are like i don't get it i'm like well you're probably not paying attention then and then, and then there's the people who are like, I get it, but I don't care for it. And that's totally fair. Like it's, there's a reason this is probably, this has been one of the most polarizing movies of the, of 2021 that the film Twitter discourse is all over the place. Yeah. Honestly, I think a part, big part of it too is like, like P everybody loves the matrix as in the 1999 film, the matrix. And then like not everybody saw the sequels and then the people who did see the sequels are like in two camps. They're the like, I love it people. And then the, I hate it people. And like, if I was one of those people who was just like, Oh, I really liked the matrix, the 1999 film. I'll see this new one. I would be so lost. Like it, 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 <laughs> it does build off of the two sequels very intentionally. And I think because I had done the podcast with you, very recently and they were super fresh in my memory i just like instantly got it i was like oh okay cool yeah because we picked up after this happened and this happened but it was like if i 
A, was just not super familiar with the sequels or hadn't just completely forgotten about them from when I saw them back in 2003 and I watched this movie, I would walk out of it going like, what was that? What happened? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so I think it, 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 all this to say, I think doing the podcast with you actually, it, w- it was very helpful and gave me a much greater appreciation for what the movie ended up being. But I think I would have liked it regardless. It's, it was just a really, really good story, really well told, beautiful to look at, really, really gorgeous cinematography. And yeah, and I can't wait to rewatch it. The only reason I haven't rewatched it yet is just because I haven't had time. <laughs> it's been such a busy couple weeks. But the second, honestly, the second it's like safer to go back into theaters, I want to see, I want to try and catch it on the big screen before it leaves because I, I, I only saw it on HBO Max and man, do I want to see that on in IMAX. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 an interesting one. I think the, the on a related note to what you were saying, people that saw the original film and either saw the sequels 20 years ago or haven't seen them at all, I think if you're going into The Matrix Resurrections with the bar of the original film, I mm-hmm. think you're you're setting yourself up for failure. That cuz that movie to me it, I was not expecting this to be as good as the original Matrix movie. I feel to them because to me, that's I, I'm sure I'd mentioned this when we talked last time about the Matrix movies, but that's the movie that made me be like, oh, movies are so much more than just a way to pass the time. There's an yes. art, there's a style, there's there's a lot of intentionality behind all of this. And that's the movie that really made me a cinephile. So for that reason, plus everything that the movie itself is, it's on it's on a pedestal and none of the sequels have come near it and I wouldn't expect them to. That's the thing. I wasn't like, all right, all right, Lana Wachowski, let's see if you can match what you did in 99. And it's like, I was coming to it like, all right, just let this not suck. <laughs> let no. this be good. Follow up on everything. Don't, and that's the cool thing. It doesn't negate any of the previous uh, storytelling. It actually yes. builds on it, but in a way that that is cheeky and po- poking fun at itself in a way, but also justifying why it's continuing and and where it takes the, I think we've exchanged tweets back and forth a little bit in the last couple of days on I think this is the best performance Keanu Reeves gives in any of these movies oh by man, far I, it's my favorite Keanu Reeves performance ever that I've wow I mean, the yeah first John the first John Wick is pretty good but, but it was just it was it was I loved seeing him do that with this character it, it felt yes. so right and 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 he did such a great job I just love him <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I love him. I love Carrie Ann Moss in this. All the new people, like you said, and, and Neil Patrick Harris is, is great in it. And Jessica Henwick. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I, it's, um, it's again, not near, not as good as the original, but I'd say it, it's might be my f- second favorite Matrix movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it, it might be. It's between this and Reloaded. I do think, as we talked about, I do think some of Revolutions, like that battle stuff, it's, it loses source, some of what, I love about the franchise, which is the philosophical stuff, which is the the guy, the one at one point in the movie, somebody says that the WTF light going off in your head. Like, that's what I, I want the movie to make me be like, yeah, reality, dreams. Like, what does this all mean? And uh, some of Revolutions was so much like machines and yeah. people in mech suits. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care about any of those characters. So it's once it hones back in on, this one, which is Neo and Trinity, that I'm like, okay, you got me back in now. Yes. So, and and going back now and thinking about the original trilogy, and the connection between Neo and Trinity as as established in this movie, it it like it it 100 fits with everything that we know about how they affect each other in those films. If that makes yes. sense. 
Yes, 100%. Highly recommended Matrix Resurrections, but we're, we're on such a deep Matrix tangent now. This, yeah. We're not here to talk <laughs> about Matrix, unfortunately. Uh, maybe another time, but we're here to talk about 1979's Mad Max. So what was your introduction to, to Mad Max? Because for me, as people will hear me probably say in every episode of this mega series, I saw Fury Road. That was the first time I'd seen anything Mad Max. And so now for this, for these episodes, I'm going, I've gone back and watched the original three. And now I, I it, it helps put things in, in context a little bit because this world is so jarring that you jump into Fury Road and it's, you can enter this series at any point and I feel like it works. Anywhere. But, anywhere you but, want. Yeah. <laughs> but it's such a specific style and aesthetic that it's, it, it feels like nothing. Fury Road is like no other movie you've ever seen except for the previous three Mad Max movies. So when did, when did you, Jackson, when did you meet Mad Max, I guess? I met Mad Max on my birthday in 2016 when that movie came out. It okay. well, it came out on my birthday on May 15th and I saw the trailers and I was like, I love Tom Hardy. I love Charlie's Throne. I love cars. I love the apocalypse in a esoteric sense. And I was like, okay, yeah, this looks really cool. And it, I, 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 I can't think of another movie going experience that was comparable to that. Like, like, like seeing that movie five times in theaters as I ended up seeing it was, it, it, it felt like watching, it felt like how people probably felt watching like Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time in theaters. Like it was like, oh my God, there is a instant cinematic classic playing on the big screen right now. <laughs> like I, I loved it so much. I think it is a perfect film. It is definitely in my top 10 favorite movies ever. And I got out of the movie and I was like, that was, that was amazing. That was beautiful and hysterical and jaw dropping and terrifying and everything that movies should be. And I turned to my dad. I was like, what is Mad Max? <laughs> what is this? I, I knew, I knew about George Miller because I grew up watching the Happy Feet movies. Right. And I really liked, I really liked the first Happy Feet movie. And then of course, Babe. So I, I'd seen all of the, his kids movies that he had made, but I had only sort of known about Mad Max in the background. But after watching Fury Road, I was like, okay, well, I have to have to know what this franchise is. Like, I, what am I missing? Because it didn't feel like I was missing anything watching the movie. It stands alone on its own two feet really well. But I wanted to see how this thing grew into what it was. So he, we went to our favorite used DVD store and he bought all the three Mad Max movies on DVD. And then like, I think over the course of a week, like over the course of three days, like one night after another, we watched the trilogy and wow. <laughs> It's, I think, I think what I like, what I like about the Mad Max movies is that each one of them is so radically different from yeah. the others. I, I think Road Warrior and Thunderdome are similar in terms of like style and tone. But like, if you were to watch uh, this first one that we're about to talk about and then watch Fury Road, you'd be like, how is this even remotely, remotely the same <laughs> <laughs> How did you get from point A to point B? But but what's great about them is that they are all independently fantastic movies. Even though even though they're so radically different, and he's taken the story in so many weird different directions over over the decades, every one of these movies is astonishing in its own right and for its own reasons. And I this one 
I have a particular soft spot for because I don't even know why. I just think this, I, I, I think OG Mad Max is, is so extremely lit and I will get get into more detail as we talk about it. But I know this is one I have to, I feel like I have to go to bat for a lot. Like this is like most people I talk to, this is at the bottom of their Mad Max rankings because it's, it's clearly a independent film made by a bunch of 20 somethings with like nothing to do, but <laughs> run cars <constantly laughs> each other. It's like very, it's like not post-apocalyptic like the rest of them. And it's just a very weird abrasive movie, but I think there's so much merit to it. I think there's so much uh, that it did for independent filmmaking and for action as a genre in Hollywood. And I'm really glad that you got me to come and talk about it. <laughs> I feel like I feel some, I, 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 I rated it on Letterboxd last night after I watched it and I gave it four and a half stars because I'm like I love this movie and I looked and nobody else that I followed on Letterboxd had given it more than more than three and a half so I was I was a little disappointed when I didn't get to talk about Fury Road because of course favorite movie of all time but if if ever there were another Mad Max movie I am jazzed to talk about it's this one because this there's a lot to talk about here yeah, absolutely. Like you, I was familiar with Mad Max. I knew it was a thing that existed, but I was I I was not born first of all when this movie or Road Warrior came out. And I was really little when Beyond Thunderdome came out. So, I knew him mostly like you said for Babe, Happy Feet, and I was like, "Oh, he did those other movies, but that was a long time ago and I I'd never caught up with them." So, going back after Fury Road and watching this, it 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 is very jarring because this is that is a, a like hundred and what hundred and fifty million dollar Hollywood. That's like if you give a blank check to George Miller, that's what you get. Yeah. This is George Miller with no money. Mm -hmm. They raised eighteen uh, over eighteen months. They raised three hundred fifty thousand dollars. He was working as an emergency room doctor. Even yeah. then, this was such like guerrilla style filmmaking. This was made. Some of the the stunt driving was most of it was illegal. This is his first movie. A lot of the the extras were actual motorcycle gang members, and it's just like. It, it's to the point that it wasn't even supposed to be post-apocalyptic. It's yeah. It, it's like how do we just how do we explain why there's no one here? Why we're shooting in like this rundown as places in the middle of nowhere? Oh, okay, everything's going to shit, and that's the yeah. difference here. I think is it's everything is still going to shit. It's not gone yet. So it's like the last remnants of civilization. It's humanity's last gasp. Uh, of of like a formed society, I guess. Yeah. In this, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Like it, when when you watch this movie with the other Mad Max movies in mind, you're like, oh, okay. This is like this is like society. Like this is like right before the apocalypse. This is like society. Right. Like right before society as a con construct completely falls apart. And it's just every man for himself. But I, I, I tried to watch it this time around, like not knowing where the franchise goes. Like, okay, what if I had just like wandered into a theater in 1979 and saw this weird ass Australian exploitation movie? And, and it's, it's, it's funny because it's like, yeah, it is that it is the last gasps of society and it's very much about that narratively and thematically too but it's also just like it honestly more than anything just feels like 
it, it, it just feels like a fantasy movie. It doesn't like, it, it just, it feels like you're just witnessing this weird parallel world where everything's like the same, but like different. And it's like, everyone's just driving around in really weird cars inexplicably. <laughs> like, and, and, and like, everybody's like talking in this weird, like, like weird form of English. That's like not quite another language, but there's so many like little, little words and phrases that are just completely made up. It's like it, 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 I, what I love about this movie, like the original Mad Max is that it's, it's, it feels like it's in its own little world. Like it feels like it's in its own little cinematic pocket. And it's, and I know a lot of that is a consequence of them just being like, okay, fuck, we don't have any money or anything. We just have to use our (laughs) imaginations. But it's like, because they had those limitations, they were able to just create something that didn't really have a precedent. Like, honestly, like watching the movie, I was like, the only thing that feels comparable to this in any way is Clockwork Orange. Like, that's the only other movie I can think that's of where call. I was watching it going like, wow, what, where, where am I? What the hell is this? But being, but being so drawn into the movie as a result of that, it, like, it's so unique and it's, you know, so stylized but also i think works so well as a movie it's so effective the story is told with such clarity the emotional beats are really strong everything in it is just firing on all cylinders pun intended <laughs> but it's it's a, it's a weird one it's a weird ass movie <laughs> <laughs> no it it's a weird world that he creates and this movie introduces you to like you said that they're they everyone has their own there's a very specific lingo going on with the gang members specifically but even with the the bronze as they as they call themselves in this movie or as they're called in this movie the it's the the insane vehicular stunts the the over the extreme like over the top violence which this movie yeah, it's more implied than 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 shown for sure but but obviously there is a child murdered and run run down by a bike and and Max's wife and things like that. There's a certain griminess to this world that 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 Miller establishes as part of the Mad Max aesthetic, yes. and then to see him evolve that in the subsequent movies is so interesting. To go back to see this, it's like okay, it's Mel Gibson. He's a cop. And he's, he's got his, his V8 interceptor. He's got his leather jacket. He's follows the rules. Not what makes him, what makes Max mad, essentially. But he even has that exploitation style title, like Mad Max. Like you won't believe what he's going to do. I'm like, oh, going to get real mad. <laughs> yeah, he's going to get mad. Um, and he does, fact, does get really mad. <laughs> granted, you know, justifiably. <laughs> exactly. But it's a world where there's a, a villain named Toe Cutter and everyone's got <laughs> these insane nicknames. And it's, it, it, it's, it is a, a very unique, distinctive, universe that he creates here and this this is the foundation where everything else is just like all right now now how can we do it how can we how can we ratchet it up oh instead of cars we'll introduce a gyrocopter and oh instead of a toe cutter there's this there's this other guy with a mohawk and then there's tina turner and thunderdome and then there's you know you you keys burn back as uh immortan joe three movies later 30 years something years later okay uh, coming back as a different yes go I, for I have it. a question robert do you think canonically and i know this is so weird and hypothetical because what even is canon when it comes to the mad max (laughs) movies but like i was thinking about this this movie i'm like is toe cutter a morton joe is it the same guy 
Right. Like, is it actually legitimately the same guy? It's like, granted, he does get wrecked at the end of this movie. That is probably the gnarliest scene in the whole movie is that that body double that gets run over by the semi truck. Like, it right. looks like he's dead. But at the same time, when you meet Morton Joe in Fury Road, it, A, it's the same actor, which I know George Miller use, uses casting in an interesting way. But he's also like, his face is all fucked up. And he like has to use like breathing. He's on like life support, so, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and, and two, he's like, very much the same guy like he has created a cult of personality around himself he's on a huge power trip he's just all around a dick like <laughs> i'm just like i <laughs> do you think it's the same guy the the fun thing about this franchise is that there's there are more there's more hallmarks to what the franchise is to some of the ones that I've already listed than there is any canon. So it's more choose your own adventure in that way. Like, I don't think Miller establishes it one way or another. I think he wants you to put on it, whatever you want to put on it. If you think Toe Cutter and Morton Joe are the same person, great. If you want to accept that they're different characters and same actor, great. But if you have that be the case, then is the gyrocopter pilot also Jedediah? And beyond yeah. Thunderdome, like I feel like you have to take it's all or nothing. Like yeah. either he has repertory players that keep coming back in different roles, or they're all canonically the same people that just yeah. pop up in different points in Max's journey in the wasteland in different places. You know, I'd forgotten about the 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 gyrocopter guy was the same was the was also in Thunderdome, but like as a different guy. I I yeah. all I remember is that his skull is on one of the cars in Fury Road. It's the car that Nux is driving where where Max is like muzzled and chained to the front of it. Like there's a skull on the top, like on a pole, like right above his head. And it's the gyrocopter pilot. It's his, it's like, he's got the same hat and everything. It's like, it's his skull. So you're just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that guy died. Yeah. Some point between these movies, but Again, none of it really matters. I, th- I think what, what what's what's interesting about the Mad Max movies to me is that there has been so little cohesion from a narrative standpoint, but so much cohesion from a cinematic standpoint. I think yes. I think the like what makes this franchise so unique is that like he's managed to take it to so many different places narratively, but managed to adopt a lot of the same filmmaking, like, like a lot of the same filmmaking techniques and a lot of the same action techniques and make those really consistent across all of the movies. Like, like while like this, yeah, like this one in particular, I, I, I was really noticing like all of the different car tricks and stuff that became like real staples of this franchise. And while it's like, like this could not be a more different movie than Fury Road or Thunderdome or even Road Warrior. It's like nice to see a similarity in terms of like how they shoot the car action or how the cars are colliding with each other, or like what cars they're using. Like, like one of the fun things I noticed is that there's that technique where they'll hop on to like semi trucks with like these long poles and and they do that in Fury Road. I think they might yeah. do it in Thunderdome. It's been a minute since I've seen that movie, but they do it in, in this there's movie, one of them there's yeah yeah where they like they rot they're stealing gasoline from a gas truck and you see them do the pull thing and i'm like oh oh yeah i remember that from fury road so it's like it's these movies like this is one of my favorite movie franchises because it's the thing it's the like long form story that is so specific to film as a medium it's it's it, it is it is such a 
it's such a joy as a cinephile to watch these movies and and draw comparisons between them in a way that it isn't necessarily with like the Matrix movies because those are more like narratively driven and those are more driven by right. like theme than they are by like style and whatnot. So yeah, I think even thematically you can see connections here. Like the idea behind Max as a character and also the world that surrounds him is the longer like the further away we get from whatever civilization or society was in place before, mm. the more out of control, the more insane, the the more mad everyone is going. Exactly. He, you know, at the beginning of Fury Road, and we keep bringing up Fury Road a lot, but more just to contrast of this, it, he's like it got it got to the point where I didn't know who was who was more crazy, me or everyone else. Yeah, and you can see that already at this point. Yeah. Like he says it at one point in this movie, any longer out there on that road, and I'm one of them. Yeah. He says, and, and he does eventually reach that point. You see in this movie, people fighting over fuel and, and, and the, the struggle for gasoline becomes an even bigger driving force going forward. You see uh night rider is like, do you see me? Like there's like big witness me energy, like <laughs> shiny yeah. and chrome. Like it, it oh, yeah. you can see so how <laughs> you can see how this world turns into that world. And yeah. this is where it's like, 10% insane and that's where it's like 95. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. it's it's that evolution of or I guess de-evolution of the world around Max that I think starts here and that you can kind of, you can follow all the way through to to the later films. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're 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 so right. It's it, it, like this at the end of the day all of these movies are about really about the same thing and it is that it is the tension between it's the tension between civilized society and order and justice and just pure animalistic chaos and how the inevitable deterioration of society will force us all to make those choices to choose between are we going to continue to maintain our humanity and are we going to continue to be people and operate in a normal fair justified society or is are we just going to get on the road and do whatever the hell we want (laughs) (laughs) and it's like that 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 tension is so beautifully illustrated in this movie specifically like i i loved the idea that like even the cops like even the even even the the cops like the institution that is supposed to uphold like justice and like order and law is like itself in shambles like the police all like every time they're in the police office it just looks like this abandoned building <laughs> it's just like yeah. dilapidated abandoned building and it's like it is because it's there's was a lot of dilapidated abandoned buildings in australia that george miller could probably shoot in for free but it like he managed to make that mean something in the context of the story it's like hey look even the cops are like just just moseying around with freaking leather jackets and doing whatever the hell they want. Like it's like even they're even they're having a hard time maintaining their their sense of order and sanity in the face of what's coming. It's just it's very very smart, clever, thematically rich filmmaking. And it it feels like something like uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, where they're like, all right. We're holding it down. We're about to, this is about, we're about to shut down this office, but we just got to keep, hold down the fort overnight till the, you know, till they, they, until we lock the door behind us. And his, Max is the chief there. I forget this. I forget all the, all the character names in these movies are all over the place. So who the hell knows? I think it's Fifi. See, that's the thing. Who's, I can't keep all that. 
Right. I like Goose though. Goose was cool. Um, Goose, yeah, because Top Gun. That does that, <laughs> that helps. Remember that. Yeah. But Fifi is like Max is like I'm gonna I'm gonna quit, and Fifi's like, oh, we're gonna remind them who heroes were, mm-hmm. and then he's and Max is like, you don't really expect me to to fall for that, and he's like, yeah, yeah I know, but I for a second there. It's, a, it's almost like he's like, remember the good old days when there was actually a chance of saving all of this? It, it sets, I don't think any of these movies are particularly hopeful, but I feel like this one might be one of the the most hopeless because yes. things are like, they had like the last few grains of sand of sanity in their, in their hands and they're slipping through and yes. it, there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no recourse at that point to get things yeah. back. The genie's out of the bottle, essentially. Well, it gives it gives a, a, a strong thematic ground for the rest of the movies to interrogate, right? Because it's like this movie is all about him. This is his. This is the 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 meme way of saying this, but this is his supervillain origin story. Like this is this yeah. is how he. This is how he and by proxy society as a whole sight of what really mattered. And every every Mad Max movie since then has had this like structure where he encounters a group of people and he is forced to make a choice between just abandoning it and saying like y'all are y'all are fucked or choosing to be that hero and so it's like because you start off from like this very desolate hopeless grimy grungy movie like each one each one of those each one of those movies has felt even more emotionally triumphant than the other because it's like it's this it's this constant it's this constant journey of reclaiming your humanity that is just so so effectively done in every one of those movies and i think the most effectively done in fury road but yeah you couldn't have got you couldn't have gotten there narratively without this but it's it's yeah it's it is a and it's such a good franchise. <laughs> he he's the he's our audience surrogate too. He's yeah. he's trying to hold it down. He's trying to and, and keep his family safe. Obviously, that doesn't work out so well. And so every movie, it's it's he he confronts whether whether he's going to stand up for something or not. And then when he does, ultimately act heroically it's sort of like it's like the end of terminator 2 like if a machine could learn to learn to (laughs) you know could learn maybe we can too it's like it's it's that thing like even this guy who's lost all hope who's only interested in his own survival because of what what he's been through uh even if even he can stand up and do the right thing then i guess it, it must be worth fighting for and and I, I love that that's the message. But this is the one where he drops where he drops the ball. This is the yeah. revenge. We talked about Revenge of the Sith a while a couple of years ago. This is the Revenge of the Sith where he yes. turns to not a hundred percent the dark side, but he lets himself get wrapped up in the chaos of Toe Cutter and uh Humongous and uh Master Blaster and Immortan Joe and in, in that Master world. Blaster. <laughs> Master Blaster's badass. Like I love that. That's as a name of, of a character. I love it. I, w- I would have said anti-entity, but I don't really think she's a villain. I don't really yes, she's she's more complex. A compelling argument to me made that she's actually not a bad guy. She is one of my favorite. I she is one of my favorite Mad Max characters. Though. Yeah. Like, oh man, Tina Turner and Chainmail. Oh. <laughs> so awesome but yeah so it, it this is this is that movie where it's it's his bruce wayne bruce wayne's parents died don't you that's how he yeah. came to be it's that it's that thing it's and and i think yeah. the way that this movie tackles that 
is really is really well done and really mm-hmm. for for something that essentially plays like a grindhouse style exploitation movie as you already mentioned it it handles that really tastefully in a way like you, it's very and sounds weird to say about the death of a woman and child but it sounds like it's very it's done in a very classy way like you see them run yeah. And then they're run down and you see like, I think the the teddy bear, like a toy. And then the, one of the Sprague's shoes bounce in the road. And, and that's all. You don't get any carnage. It's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not like something like uh, Toxic Avenger where kids get run over and it's like oh. flat everywhere and oh. shit like that. It's I nothing crazy. That movie. <laughs> I watched it while I was eating something. Bad idea. I was falling sick to myself during that scene. Just, um, <laughs> ironically, a lot more juvenile than that. Like it's. It, yes. This was such a mature movie in the way it handles violence and in terms of like what violence you see and what violence you don't. Like I think like it's it's no surprise to me that George Miller is so good at making kids movies because I think at the end of the day he's he's a humanist deep down and he has a very very positive optimistic outlook on humanity but it's like that is having that is also what allows him to make stuff that's so dark because he understands what what's really at stake you know and i think yeah and i think this movie in like this movie that's particularly evident through his relationship with his wife and child like it's so it is such an oasis in this movie. It's like everything in the movie is just so ugly and wacky and depraved (laughs) and then it's like every time you're with them it feels it feels really authentic and it feels really real and it's it's yeah i think that's his strength as a filmmaker is is that he he's like oh yeah i'll give you the i'll give you the gnarly ass grindhouse stuff but like you're gonna care like you're gonna care the way that you care about disney movies or pixar movies or marvel movies or whatever like he's he's just he's such a great filmmaker yeah i i i've already at this point of us doing this episode i've already recorded some of the other ones and and people will hear me get into that on beyond thunderdome when that is essentially like a very central on children in the second half of that film yes so it's to your point about how it, it is that is where his where his head is at not of not making a kids movie but making finding that that line and that balance between an, a place of innocence a place of hope and wonder and a place of Look at this crazy shit. We got cars, we got bikes, we got toe cutter and all that. I just love saying toe cutter when I notice. I cutter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> cars running into other cars and cars going through other cars and motorcycles going through cars. Yeah. Oh man, it's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, but yeah, I know I know we're not talking about Thunderdome, but like to 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 that point, like one of my favorite scenes in the whole franchise is the Thunderdome sequence in Thunderdome mm. when he's fighting the big guy with the chainsaw and the whole yes. thing, you're just like, ah, be it do the you're gonna kill the guy with the chainsaw, and then he takes his mask off and you see he's like a he's like a severely disabled and deformed person, and he's like, Oh no, I can't, I can't kill mm-hmm. this guy. That's not fair. And it's just it's it's like that that is so as so emblematic about like what makes these movies so special and so good is that they are absolutely insane and brutal and violent, but they're also so achingly human and so optimistic. It's, 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 it's very hard to strike that balance tonally. And I really don't think any other franchise has been, has managed to do that quite as effectively as this one. Maybe Terminator, maybe Terminator. Terminator is, well, the the good Terminator movie. I was gonna say 
<laughs> yeah, the, the first two, and then it's debatable beyond there for Terminator. I think so. I find some of that's definitely a franchise I'm going to do at some point because yeah. those movies are yeah. interesting. Talk about detours. Jesus. <laughs> it's like every movie, it's just like, no, 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 just kidding. Hit the reset. That didn't count. Let's, yeah. let's try it again. Every, every single movie, like everyone, they're just like, no, 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 we're going to try this. Again. One and two count. And then it's like, which of these four movies do you want to follow next? basically like basically everything that James Cameron had to do with pretty much he did um, but yeah there's such a heart to this movie i think that i think that's really like the key that underneath all the all the crazy stuff there is there is there is a there's a message there is there it's it it's presented it i'm sure it was marketed as a revenge movie like a revenge thriller and that they took his family he's going to go after toe cutter because i wanted to say that as much as possible but it's not, it, it plays more like it's a tragedy. Yeah. It's Anakin Skywalker. You were the chosen one. It's that thing. It's not triumphant in the end. It's just like, oh, great. And now he did that and it didn't help. And now he's just he walking around until he, until the next movie when, you know, he meets some new people. And that's, that's just now his, his life. And it's, it it's sad. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not cathartic in the way that you would think it would be. It's mm-hmm. cathartic for a moment. When he leaves Johnny the boy there with a, a very Saw-inspired death, it feels like it feels like Lee Winnell saw this movie and he was like, ooh, I'm going to use that. Yeah. Uh, and Lee Winnell, who's Austra- Australian, has he ever yeah. acknowledged that? Yeah, I saw Mad Max. And I was like, I yeah. think they did. Yeah. Well, because the first Saw movie was very, this is a bit of a tangent, but like the well, first we Saw movie was like very, very Mad Max. A, in terms of the fact that it was like too... Australian filmmakers just letting their imaginations run wild with what they had, but also just in like, yeah, in terms of the, the, the way it references that movie <laughs> and, and probably the biggest is that final scene. But yeah, no, anyway, to your point about, you know, it being a revenge thriller, it is. Yeah. It's, it, it it's like an anti-revenge thriller in a way, because yeah. I feel like most, most revenge movies, like the, the wife and kid will get killed off at the end of act one so that he can spend the rest of the movie getting revenge. Whereas in this movie, they get killed off at the end of act two and it makes the whole, yeah, it makes the whole story come off a lot more tragic. Cause you're just like, you just see, you see so clearly what he lost and what that means. And it's, yeah, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't offer any like triumphant, Yay, he won at the end of the movie because you're like, you've lost you, you've you've lost the one thing that you spent the whole movie trying to maintain, and that was your sense of humanity. Although I have to give a caveat by saying that that getting to watch that dummy get run over by that semi semi truck was like <laughs> I I I it, it, I I'm somewhat embarrassed to say, but I cheer every time <laughs> because I'm just like, it is insane how real that looks, and I just yeah. Like, like movies nowadays wouldn't even attempt to do something like that and make it look that realistic. And they would also probably go way too over the top with it and make like blood and brain matter splattering everywhere. But it's the, it's the, it's the quickness of it that makes it feel so realistic. And also like in the moment, like really gut satisfying because man, that bad guy is a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) so satisfying but then yeah then you get that then it uh, the movie doesn't end there the movie ends with him handcuffing that guy specifically to the car because that was also the guy who like 
he he killed Goose, but like didn't really want to kill him too. And you just see how tragic it all is. How it's like this these cycles of violence beget more violence and just turn us into the worst versions of ourselves. So it's a great movie. I I really don't. I, I I understand why a lot of Mad Max fans are like this is my least favorite. But honestly, I think this is probably one of the most like thematically and narratively succinct and successful of these movies, which is saying something because they're all, they're all fantastic. They're all so good, but I do. I'm yeah. soft for this one. I think it's I, like, I can see if you're used to the other movies going back and watching this being thrown off because like, like we were saying with, with the matrix movies, if you're watching resurrections and you're like, all right, cool action scene, let's get some bullet time. And then the movies only references to bullet time are like, what do you want? Bullet time? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It, 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 cause this is, he, he has a, a knack for visual storytelling in all four of these, but in this one specifically, it's more, it's the most plot focused. It it takes, it's the slowest paced. Perhaps it Mm -hmm. takes time to really, get to max being mad and yeah. as you were saying it, it's more like the, these cops are clearly adrenaline junkies they're hooked on this stuff this is this is all they have going because they know it's hopeless and it's just a matter of time until the the powder keg explodes basically and so yeah. it's two-thirds it's an, it's only like i think it's only like a, an hour and something 30 and again it's only like an hour and a half movie i think mm-hmm. something like that and it, it takes like a good hour or so for that the stuff that would even any way closely resemble what people would ex- be expecting from it uh, to happen. There's great action scenes. There's the there's the bike chase and or the bike crash and there's like there's a lot of uh, cool stunts and things like that. But it's it it doesn't quite reach the same level of what people are yeah. people might be coming to it for until then. And I think it's it because it's it's an it's the introduction to this world. It's a yeah. Miller called it a mythological western, which I think is a, is a pretty apt yes, way of describing this. Apt way, of, yeah. And it's in that way. It, it's it it is. I don't know. It it takes it takes its time telling its story, and it's the it's it, is, it has to set the table for this world. Whereas the other movies are just like, all right, we're in it. Go. You know, it's it's a lot more of a character study in the way that I feel like a lot of character studies are all about building towards one action. Like it's not necessarily about like, Oh, okay, well then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. It's like, okay, these were all the very little things that ended up that resulted in this person making this one decision. Like this is mm-hmm. the first yep. Mad Max is very much that movie. Whereas all the other Mad Maxes are pretty traditional, pretty traditional Westerns in a sense, in terms of their plot and style. Whereas this is very much like, we just see what's going on. We see his life. We see how the world is. And then things start to go wrong. And then more things start to go wrong. And then he loses the two people closest to him. And that's, why he became mad it's it's it, it, it's like it's like a paul schrader movie in that where it's just like mm-hmm. you just see it got just playing out and then it le- and it's all about leading to that one moment of violence i think that's why i think that's why it feels a lot slower paced than the other ones even though i think this is technically the shortest one oh it's it's definitely a lot more of a vibey moodier movie <laughs> yeah totally totally and it and it's it, it was still impactful enough to kick off a franchise. It it was with such a low budget, this movie became a cult thing and then grew to the point that Road Warrior was 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 marketed as 
as the road warrior and not Mad Max two. And we didn't even get a, the, the like original audio track on DVD apparently until like the early two thousands, because this was just not, it, it took a while to creep its way around the world. And I think road yeah. warrior was the one that helped kick down the door. I, I yes. brought this up other conversations with, about Mad Max, but it's like the evil dead franchise, which I just finished covering that. Yeah. Yeah. It started as this low budget, like a uh, grindhouse grimy beast and then the second Friends one, with the camera on a lot of times. Yes, yeah. And then the second one, it just kicks the door down and starts to bring it into the mainstream. By the time you get to Thunderdome and Army of Darkness, it's all right. We're we're a studio picture now. Yeah, we're going we're going legit. Picture, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's it's this movie gets that that ball rolling, gets Miller and Gibson's feet in the door for yes. for Road Warrior and 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 everything beyond that. And it also just like, I think it's important to note that this movie really set, helped set the precedent that made Road Warrior possible because like, like this movie came out at a time where independent filmmaking was very, it was very small and not nearly, not even remotely close to as big of a thing as it was nowadays. Like independent movies didn't really make that much money, but it was like, I think, and I don't want to, I don't want to say something that's factually incorrect but if I, I if i remember correctly i think this movie the original mad max was like the biggest return on investment that a movie had ever had in history up to that point because it only yeah. it only cost like it only cost yeah like what was it what'd you say like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to make and something then like that it yeah. was it was a hit it was like like i'm people people in 1979 is exactly what they wanted <laughs> and it was it was a bit of a it was like a bit of a sleeper hit and it i think it really it that really forced hollywood or, or just people in the industry to take independent films seriously as a commercial option like oh shit it, we don't have to be making these movies in the studio system for them to be good and for people to watch them and that's Ultimately, I think why what allowed Road Warrior to be as big of a cultural phenomenon as it was, because that too was a that too was an independent movie that was, I mean, huge, hugely successful at the time. But um, but yeah, like I one of the things that I love so much about the Mad Max movies is that they've had both they've had their feet in both worlds, you know. And and I think you could probably you could say this is also the case with Evil Dead, but it's like yeah, you've had you you have Fury Road, which is literally like one hundred and sixty five million dollars of Warner Brothers money. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have George Miller and his friends running around the open roads of Australia, crashing cars into each other in their downtime when they're not <laughs> working, actually patching up people from real car accidents right exactly um, so. yeah and that and that's the thing it was the real life car violence that he saw where he was like hmm, i wonder if there's something there if there's yeah. a story to be told using that yeah. that trope and yeah to to your to what you're saying i believe it was the movie with the most return on investment until the player witch project 20 years later which yes. is yes. a lot like i can only imagine people that saw this closer to when it came out, saw the progression of this franchise in real time. Mm -hmm. And then to sit in the theater in 2015 and it just look up at the screen, like uh, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic park, you'd be like, son of a bitch did it <laughs> because, because it, oh. it is like that. That's I, 
the movie I would have to, have to imagine George Miller had in his head for decades, which is why he didn't 100%. make a Mad Max movie yeah. for, for 30 years. He's like, eh, it's not there yet. I'll wait until I'm ready. And then 70-year-old George Miller is like, all right, you, let me show you youngsters how it's done, pretty much. Well, it's it's like, I, I can't believe I'm... I, not to bring it back round again, but like matrix resurrections it's like we 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 live in a time period now where hollywood is like like okay people will only see movies that are either sequels to or reboots of movies that they're already seen they've already seen Mm -hmm. like and it's it's sad that that's the case but it is and i like it it was it was probably the perfect time for George Miller to jump in and say, "Oh yeah, I'll make this movie." Because I mean, to be honest, Warner Brothers was probably going to make something like it anyway. What do we what do we what do we own? Mad Max? Oh yeah, people love that. We're probably going to make another Mad Max movie. But it's like because the film because the filmmaker seized the opportunity to come back and continue the story, it resulted in something really really special and i think that was also the case with matrix resurrections like <laughs> it's name dropped like, not to spoiler but it's name dropped in the movie itself. It, it, yeah literally like <laughs> they, they they literally say in the movie they're like we want to like like this is going to happen with or without <laughs> you and but be but because the original filmmaker was like no i'm going to choose to continue this and i'm going to choose to to make this you you get a movie which is which ticks all of the boxes for what Hollywood wants out of it. It's like, oh, we want people to be reminded why they love this thing so much and to pay us $15 and so on and so forth. But it doesn't feel creatively bankrupt. It actually right, feels exactly. like really, really special and really amazing and really cool. And yeah, and I, yeah, so it's like, I, I, I really loved that Lana was able to come back and do that for the Matrix franchise. And I really, 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 really love that George Miller was able to come back and do it for, for Mad Max because, yeah, Fury Road is uh, it's a masterpiece. I don't really, I, it's not a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> then no, I'm covered in the podcast you already recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it is also, it, you, you, there's two ways to look at that thing. It's like, okay, this is, this is this filmmaker cashing in on like the reboot or sequel, blah, 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 whatever. Or it's them using the vehicle of that IP to express themselves creatively. Like you said, to yes. put their ideas, to challenge themselves. Yes. It's set in a pre-established world that they built themselves. No less. It's, it's not, it's not exactly re- rehashing the same thing. It's not like Star Trek Into Darkness being like, you know what? Why don't we do Wrath of Khan? Only not as good this time. Uh, and I you normally, know, I don't even hate Into Darkness. I think it's fine, but it's 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 basically Skywalker. very much the same oh, I thing. Like, I have something in my throat. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I said basically J.J. Abrams should not be allowed to do sequels. <laughs> no, 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 no. Exactly. So that so it was yeah. Rise of Skywalker is yeah exactly. It, it's. Yeah, it's exactly that. And in the interim, Miller made the Babe movies, the Happy Feet movies, and the Wachowskis made a lot of other great movies that nobody saw. Nobody nobody saw Cloud Atlas uh-huh. for some reason, even though Cloud Atlas is amazing. And I, I like Speed Racer quite a bit. And I, I haven't come around on Jupiter Ascending. I got to give that a rewatch. But yeah, that everything else, <laughs> everything else the, the, the Wachowskis have done, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for this. All of this, this works for me. And and I think in this case, it's Miller coming back and and reclaiming it, and it builds on what's here. I think that's that's the main 
point that we want to get across in this first episode of this mega series is this is the beginning of the Mad Max franchise. No. But it feels it, it feels of a piece with those other three movies, even though it looks very different, even though it has way less money, even though it has a different leading man, and and strangely the same antagonist, <laughs> the same the same actor as the villain. Whether it's the same character or not is to be determined. But but yeah, but I think I, it, you see all those seeds that grow later on, decades down the line, or even a couple of years in the next film. And you, you they're they're all here. Like all of that stuff, it, all of his his vision is is in this movie. It just yeah. it hasn't had the the time and the 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 money and the focus, the energy, whatever you want to say, yeah. to germinate properly. And I do yeah. think the performances in this movie, which we should probably mention both us, all across the board, really great. Gibson as a human being, not so much. In these in these movies in these movies, yeah. really good. He's got he's, mm-hmm. he's 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 a handsome guy. He's got presence. He he sells the emotional moments and he sells the action moments even better. You I, know what's funny uh, though? I, yeah, go ahead. I, I I I you you brought up Evil Dead earlier, and I, it's 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 funny because I do really think that is actually probably the most comparable thing that we have to Mad Max. Also, in the sense that I feel like it, I like Mel Gibson is good in this movie, but he's great in the other two like he's like yeah. really like you you feel like you can see so much more confidence in his performance in both road warrior and especially in beyond thunderdome whereas here it very much feels like he's just up and coming as an actor and that very much what i think was the case with bruce campbell as well in the evil dead movies like you go back and you watch the first one and he's just kind of like there He's just kind of like lumbering around yeah. and going like, okay, all right, sure. And then you, and then, and then in Evil Dead 2 and an Army of Darkness, that's when he like really got good and really turned that character into such an icon. So another weird parallel that I just saw between, between those, but cause it's, cause it's interesting. Like both Mad Max and Evil Dead were very, very young filmmakers just really fighting to get their voices heard in the industry, really saying like, what can I do that's going to get people's attention? Like, what can I do that's going to tell people, like, I know where to put the camera. I know how to tell a story. I know how to really excite an audience and show them something that they had never seen before. And then once Hollywood was listening, being like, okay, now I can actually tell stories on the scale that I should be telling stories and do a really great job, which is what happened in both of those cases. Yeah, which which is why I... I have, I'm very curious to see how Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness turns out with Sam Raimi behind the camera. Well, that that's a whole separate conversation, but I think, I think, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. The Mel Gibson, Bruce Campbell thing, because in both cases, you're dealing with inexperienced actors figuring out how to be in front of a camera and yeah. how to like play scenes. And in both, in both cases, the characters endure the trauma that will come to define them yeah. And essentially make them different characters in yeah. the sequels. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I talked about the in the Evil Dead mega series on how Ash is, is unhinged in these subsequent movies because he's witnessed all his friends getting murdered. His, you know, his girlfriend, girlfriend, his sister. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That oh. breaks something in you. That's why I love that sequence in Evil Dead 2 where he's like, his like, his mind is shattering and he's having like visions and he's like in the chair gripping the thing. Like mm-hmm. he's lost it. 
Yeah. And then just becomes a cartoon character, the <laughs> latter half of that movie, and, and and definitely into Army of Darkness. And in this, this is obviously much darker and played more seriously that Max has just internalized it all. Whereas whereas Ash is just spouting, you know, catchphrases left and right. Instead. Okay, he's, a very, his, very he's coping with it. Very different character than Mad Max, but you're right. It, it is yeah. that in, in both instances, the the these first movies act as their like inciting incident for their their character arcs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like we're starting to to wind down. Is there anything about the original Mad Max that we haven't uh, that we haven't shouted out that you wanted to make sure we mentioned? I know that's a that's always a big question. Yeah, well, there are a couple there was funny. There were a couple things in the movie. I remember when I watched it last rewatched it last night that I was like, oh, I really want to give a shout out to this. I think probably the biggest was that I love that his wife's introduction is just her playing the saxophone mm-hmm. i i it's just it's just perfect I, mean, I can't think of a better character better way to introduce that character and what and what she means to the story and what you're supposed to feel towards her than to just have her sitting sitting there just playing a saxophone all sexy like just really smart brilliant filmmaking i love also in the same scene i love that the baby is just like casually playing with a gun and neither of them are Neither of them are like care or reference it. It's just really excellent, excellent. Another just, another day in the wasteland. That's how it works. Yeah, exactly. It's just just like 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 all the Mad Max movies, but like this one in particular is just so full of fun little choices in the design or with the characters. I loved the way that the motorcycle gang is just climbing around everything, like kids playing on monkey bars at a playground, like they're treating the world like it is their playground. I, I just mm-hmm. like, all these like, like little motifs and stuff. It was really, it's it's such a, it's such a rich movie for being conceptually like a exploitation B like, like so many exploitation B movies are just like there, there's a, a, a laid backness and the laziness and a casualness to them, which a lot of times adds to the charm, but it, it what, what's so special about Mad Max is that it is one of those movies, but there's like real laser precision behind the camera, like laser precision, like in terms of the shot compositions, in terms of the design limited and bare bones and cobbled together as it may be is got so much personality and intent. It's, it's just an incredible, it's an incredible movie. I I strongly recommend everybody listening to this podcast, go rewatch it and check it out if you haven't already it's not fury road but it's it's pretty it's pretty neat for what it is <laughs> yeah no totally i was even going to say about how how much personality is is in this thing and and there's a certain playfulness to it especially in um, in the form of of yuki's burns uh, performance as toe cutter he's he's toys with with jesse especially in that one scene when they when they get the baby and there's such menace and sadistic glee in in the way that he plays that and and he he a lot of the actors playing the gang weren't very method with it like they, they were on set like you know kind of messing with the people playing the cops and there was a real yes. a real crazy a really crazy on set dynamic that that feeds i think that energy and it definitely comes across on screen my my favorite little thing in the movie is when toe cutter is holding that guy's face when he's talking to him at the train station mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. in the mo- he's like holding it in like the most delicate way, but it just it's so uncomfortable. 
Yes. And you could tell the guy is like so uncomfortable too. It's just <laughs> all the little ticks about that character just make him one of the most memorable movie villains, which is crazy that he has played two of the most memorable movie villains right? in the same exactly. franchise. Or is it or is it one? And or is it one? I, I don't know. We, wanna, we will never know. And I do love that we'll never know because exactly you know, it's, as it's 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 part of the joy of filmmaking is leaving it up to the audience's imagination. And there's so much about these movies like these. These movies are great because they give the audience the opportunity to use their imaginations in ways that other movies are just not interested in. They want you to be thinking about what else is going on in this world? What, what, what don't I know about these people or society or why things are the way they are? That's what, that's what makes Fury Road so cool too, is it's just like, it feels like it's like just dropped you into this very complex society that just only gives you glimpses of, but it, it, it forces you to fill in the gaps and that makes it feel so much more real and special and cool. And I think it's just one of George Miller's many, many gifts as a filmmaker. Yeah, no, perfect. You said it perfectly. I 100% agree. So, but so yeah, so now that we've, we've touched on a lot of this, but what would you say that the, the Mad Max franchise contributes to cinema? What is its legacy? I feel like you've commented to that effect already. Any, anything to add, I guess. I don't think car chases have ever been the same. Like I do think, and I, and I mentioned this in the video essay that I made, not on Fury Road, but I talked about Fury Road extensively in it. Like I think George Miller is responsible for what we define as the post-apocalyptic aesthetic. Like he more so than any other filmmaker really pioneered what that looks like as, as a cinematic world, much in the same way that it's like after Lord of the Rings came out, everybody was like, okay, like this is going to be our, like, this is what fantasy looks like from now on. Like, it's like, I think after, specifically after Road Warrior came out, maybe not this movie so much, because this movie is operating on a very unique wavelength, but like really after Road Warrior and Thunderdome, like, we had a real, we had a real idea for what a post-apocalyptic society might look like that I think so many movies and television shows have adopted the aesthetic of and built off of like very few filmmakers can claim to have invented a genre or pioneered a genre quite in the same way that George Miller did with the post-apocalyptic genre, which has in recent years for very depressing reasons become more and more popular. Like we, yeah. we've seen it real. We've, we've seen ourselves as a society really begin to not only tell post-apocalyptic stories, but like mythologize post-apocalyptic stories in the way that we did like fantasy or sci-fi in the last half of the last century, you know, and, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think these movies deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah. It's, it's pointedly set a few years from now. Yeah. So whether that's you're watching it in 79 and that's early eighties or you're watching it in 2021 and it's, Mid 2020s, like we don't, it's could be tomorrow. You don't, yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's no, there's no earmarks here to really pinpoint. Oh, they got look, this Max is using a Blackberry, or there's nothing like that. And clearly, things have started to slip away. So, it's it could also be the justification that everyone has for the original Star Wars trilogy. They're like, well, technology rolled backwards, um, <laughs> after the Empire took over, and so you know, 
you can yeah. imagine that it happens whenever whenever you happen to be watching it. It's always plays like a cautionary tale timelessly. Exactly. 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 But uh, but yeah. So now we're getting to your ranking. So yeah. uh Jackson Smith, what is your ranking for the four Mad Max movies? Lit up on Letterbox. I love this app so much. Oh, it's me too. I'm such a fan. I think I'm I think I'm honestly gonna get pro, especially after I, the whole year in review thing. I was so upset that they didn't give me <laughs> that option. I know. As a non-paying member, I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna have to bite the bullet and just do that. Well, I was a non-paying member for for a long time, and then finally what sold me on it was. I had, I, I didn't have my, my user. I wanted to change my username. Basically I had it as okay. something, Robert, something or whatever, Robert Fox or something like that. Cause that's like a, a pseudonym that I like to use and random yeah. like usernames and stuff. And I wanted to change it to crooked table to at least be consistent with the podcasts and everything. Sure. And, and I discovered that you could do that with pro and I was like, eh, okay, sure. And uh, now, now that I'm in it now, I'm like, Ooh, look at all these stats. I love it. Um, oh. Never going back. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it's it's not that expensive too. So I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do it. Uh, ranking, yes. So um, at number four, because there's four movies. So at number four, I have The Road Warrior, which I know will be a bit of a controversial opinion since that's most people's favorite. I do really like that movie. I really I really like Road Warrior. I think it's really good. It's it's just like standard Mad Max. Like for me, it's like that's the the heart of it all. It's it's good. There's just there's nothing really to say with it. It's like it's it's good. It's solid. Fantastic. Third is Thunderdome. I know everybody hates this one. I love Thunderdome. I'm a huge huge fan of Thunderdome. Again, love Tina Turner in that movie. I yeah, the, the Peter Pan stuff in the back half does feel a little bit incongruous. I don't know if that's the right. But like it just it doesn't quite gel with the rest of the movie. It feels like a little bit of a detour. But I also think it's really sweet and charming. And I think yeah. uh, George Miller does a really good job with it. And the train chase sequence at the end of that movie is fantastic. So it, like it totally pays off well. That the Tina Turner songs for the movie are excellent. I just think it's I think it's a trip. I think it's a great time. Uh, coming in at second is this one is OG Mad Max. Uh, like I said, I love this movie. I I it is so unique. It is so vivid it is so entertaining i have to emphasize too just before we stop talking about it that like a lot of times when you go back and you watch old movies it, it can be a little hard to engage with them because it's not quite paced how we are used to movies being paced nowadays but like i this movie is still such an uh, such an elemental experience like i that extended sequence and where leading up to his wife's death where is there she's just being like chased throughout the woods and it's like that whole extended sequence i just did not breathe like the whole time i was like completely on the edge of my seat and i've seen this movie before so that's saying something like just really really effective filmmaking really really great true classic i love it i love it so much but fury road is no, my it's my number one. And like I said, that movie's in my top ten of all time. I just think that movie is I think it should have won Best Picture, honestly. <laughs> I really I was, yeah. I, I was or best director, at least. Like at least. at least best director. It's just yeah. It got the fact that though, it, so. it did. It did. And they were and I, I mentioned this during during the episode of that, but it's there was a certain point during the Oscars that year. I was like, is it gonna is it gonna maybe get a big award like is that gonna start turning and it didn't really but you know but the fact that it's just it's the fine. fact that you have a movie that's a fourth movie in a franchise that nobody has even seen a movie from for 30 years 
Yep. And it's an action movie. It's a car chase movie. It's a post-apocalyptic movie. It's extremely gory and grindhousey, and it's just it's and it's bare bones and yet, and it's like it, a feminist manifesto at the same and it's time. Like a feminist too. manifesto at the same time, and yet the, and and yet it was like all of those things. And the Academy Awards, who usually hates all of the stuff that I just mentioned, was like, "Well, f- fuck, we have to, we have to." recognize we have to recognize it because it's it's just that good (laughs) it is just simply that good and i just i love that i love that that movie was just so so deeply excellent like so deeply excellent that that the 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 snootiest and snobbiest people in hollywood even had to give it a nomination for best picture and it was probably a bit closer to winning than we think like, yeah. I, I would not be surprised if, because, like, I know the Oscar voting system is super weird. I would not be surprised if that was, like, either number one or number two um, runner-up that year. But, yeah, it's like preferential like, ballot, I think, right? So exactly, Mad Max yeah. would have been, was probably a lot of voters number twos. Yeah, I imagine, I mean, like, yeah. like, look what happened with Parasite. Like, I, I think a lot of people, that was a similar situation where it was, like, a movie that nobody was expecting them to, them to award, and then it ended up getting all of them, so. It's an undeniable, it's an undeniable force in, 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 exactly. in its year of release, yeah. Yes, well, it's like, at, at the end of the day, I think, in both instances, it's really great because it's like at the end of the day, if your movie is that good, if your movie is just simply that good, it, they you you can't ignore it, you know. And 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 Fury Road is one of those. Is oh man, it's I think the only movie <laughs> I, I think it's the only movie I've ever seen five times. No, Guardians one, the original Guardians. I okay, saw five times. Because I just, I, I took every single person I knew in my life to go see that movie. Whereas I think Mad Max, it was like playing, because I saw, I saw it at the Arclight uh, on my birthday for the first time. And then it was playing at the Dollar Theater near my college that me and my roommate would always go to. And we just went like constantly. <laughs> just went and saw it constantly there because tickets were like three bucks. There was like a hole on the screen. We didn't care. We were getting to see Fury (laughs) with like big ass speakers. So like, yeah, no, it's, it's, that's, that's definitely, definitely one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Whenever, whenever I start one of these mega series, what I, what I do at the end is I tally up all the guests rankings and I, and rank, Mm. get a definitive ranking of what the guests think is the, is the best film in that franchise. And, it's it's always fun to try and and uh, guess what what might how the how might shake out like with the Child's Play one the original film barely squeaked out over Bride of Chucky and then uh, oh. Evil Dead two easily took that the, for that franchise so I I have a feeling it's gonna be Fury Road here like it would. It's, it might be, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I, at this point, I haven't even recorded all of them, let alone gone back and, and, and kind of tallied those, those points up. So we'll see how that goes. But four interesting movies. Yeah. Definitely. Four extremely interesting movies. I, I think I might have thrown a monkey wrench into your, into, into your algorithm <laughs> in that case, because like, like, if, like I, I know most Mad Max fans, if they saw my list, they would be like, no, it's, it's swapped. It should be the other way around. <laughs> Except for Fury Road. Fury Road probably is right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think generally, generally, I feel like it's either Fury Road or Road Warrior are the ones yes. that people because Road Warrior was a lot of people, and it's funny because both of those films are are probably the films that introduced a lot of people to this character, not the first oh, yeah, one. Yeah, everybody saw Road Warrior as a kid, or they discovered the franchise with Fury Road and then went back. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's one so i think there's there's a little bit of uh of bias there built into when when you actually saw those films but that's the case my dad's, it's always it was case. my dad's first i think dad i my dad watched uh road warrior when he was in college and that was his first exposure all of this and, uh, oh right. wow this is this is really cool <laughs> um, yeah so that probably be the top of his but uh, i i like yeah. it i like that i want to emphasize i don't not like that one but <laughs> i just like the other three movies more <laughs> right right yeah yeah totally no no and and that's like i said that was the ca- keep going back to these parallels with evil dead four very different movies mm-hmm. for all, all four are really good like i would recommend all four of those in a heartbeat and i think it's that's why it's been so hard for this for, for this mega series and then for the previous one for people to figure out how what that exactly that ranking is and they always have to preface oh that doesn't mean i don't like it like these are all great <laughs> like a lot of people put the original evil dead last and they had to be like but it's still great it's where it all started like i feel bad leaving it last and it's like yeah i get it i understand Wait, what's the fourth, um, what's the fourth evil dead the fourth is the so the 2013 i'm normally i'm not covering remakes oh, yeah, of course yeah of course normally i'm not covering remakes but it's like their jury's still out if that's a remake if it's a sequel if it's set in the same world so if it's, those are all baby. very very different movies the chainsaw and the rain and the oh my god oh god yeah <laughs> i'm so mad i never oh. got a sequel to that movie with jane, jane levy back i say never say never sure. she's definitely a lot more popular now after zoe so she's got the clout to to make it happen we'll see but yeah, that, thank you so much, Jackson, for coming back on the show. Let's not wait over a year to have, to have another conversation on Mike. Yeah. Tell people where they can find you on social media. So you can find me on Twitter at Jackson C. Smith 95 or just Nightfall Entertainment. And we're on Twitter as Nightfall underscore OFCL for official. That was the only username that was available. <laughs> that had nightfall available uh, yeah that's where you can find me posting most updates about stuff and just general bad takes about things uh, you can find me on instagram at jackson s underscore 95 and then yeah like i said uh, check us out on youtube uh, just search nightfall entertainment we've got podcasts video essays short films all that jazz excellent Awesome. This was a pleasure as always, Jackson. This was and great. we'll we'll definitely have to get you back either either on here or on uh, or on my other show, Close Watch, sometime in the future. So we'll be in touch. Fantastic. Sweet man. Big thanks to Jackson Smith from Nightfall Entertainment for coming on to discuss 1979's Mad Max. As I said, this is the first of our new mega series. So you just heard Jackson's ranking. Every guest in this mega series is going to have their own ranking of these four films from director George Miller at the end of uh, the Mad Max Fury Road episode. I will run down what everybody's ranking was, find out what the guest consensus was for the ranking of this franchise. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to let people know about the show, if you enjoyed what you just heard, if you're into what we're trying to do at Franchise Detours, please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Now you can rate us on Spotify as well. Uh, you should find all those links uh, you know, in this post. There should be a, a links to everything that you're looking for. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, same handle on Instagram. Uh, via email robert at crookedtable.com we'll be back next episode with mad max 2 aka the road warrior for now that's a wrap on another crooked table production i'll see you in the wasteland everybody
This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED. KED, I'm in my house.